I was not finding a job. And I was in an interview once with these uh, women from Nielsen who does television ratings. And about 10 minutes into the interview, the women look at each other and then they look at me and they just say, okay, it's over. Like, this is done. What's wrong? You're listening to Create Community. I'm your host, Marsha Drucker. On this podcast, we're exploring the human side of community. I'm chatting with some amazing community builders to define what community truly means. Joining me today is Carter Gibson, the internal community program lead at Google. Prior to Google, Carter has fostered community in spaces ranging from gaming to digital art. At Google, he started out on the Google Plus content and community management team, and then he went on to start Google's first internal community management team. Today, he leads strategies to establish foundations of moderation, amplify positive contributions, and advocate for Googler's needs to decision makers. In this episode, Carter and I chat about his career and personal journey and all things internal community. So let's jump right into it. So Carter, welcome to Create Community. I'm super excited to chat with you today. Hey, good to see you, or I guess hear you. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> Hi, awesome. So to kick these episodes off, I'd love to learn a little bit about your early journey and what led you to actually become a community builder. Um, so curious to learn about your early days and especially what you were like in high school and you know what were some of your interests and passions when you were really young and growing up. I was definitely like that awkward kid um, in high school who sat outside with like the people who wore leather jackets because they thought it was cool. It was like the little misfit crowd um, at the one picnic table outside of the cafeteria. (laughs) That was who I was. Um, I was sort of like a very strange amalgamation of lots of different things. I was like a theater kid, but also the swim team captain. Um, I was like pretty smart, but like not in AP classes. Um, it was, uh, I was really a lot of things um, in high school. I always wanted to do as much as I possibly could. Um, and I never really cared about being popular. Um, and I was also out, I was out as a kid in ninth grade. So that was also like a, a fun little complication. That's awesome that you were able to come out so young. What was that experience like? Um, how did how did you come out and how did you find your sense of belonging through that? Oh my gosh, it was so negative. It was so bad. Um, I, so I always knew that I was gay. Uh, but then my parents found out that I was gay before I had a chance to tell them. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the whole school found out um, after that. It was sort of like a, a therapy session for Carter. How can we help Carter? And whenever people try to help, um, everyone finds out. Um, so my leading theory is that my parents called the school and told the teachers and the teachers like told the kids to help me out. And then all of a sudden it was just out there. Um, And it was actually a a blessing in disguise. We had a lot of family problems with it at first. Uh, My parents are great with it now. Coming out was probably the best thing uh, possible for me and just figuring out my identity. And it's it's actually kind of funny. The kids all stopped being mean to me once I was like, yeah, dude, I'm gay. Maybe stop calling me gay. (laughs) (laughs) 
That makes sense. Well, thank you so much for being so open and for sharing that. I know, you know, looking back, you can kind of find some humor in it and, you know, look at it as a blessing in disguise. But I'm sure at the time that you were actually living through it, it was it was really challenging, especially, you know, as a, as a kid in ninth grade, you're that's such an awkward time already in high school. And to add an extra layer on top of it, it of course, it must have been very difficult. But I'm, I'm glad that ultimately it helped you, you know, find your sense of belonging and really like get to know who you truly, truly are and really you know, like find people and, and activities and things that were going to really make sense with with who you are. Yeah, well, it's, it's funny. Um, I when I was uh, coming out, I always tried to sort of like resist making gay my identity. Um, and now here we are in a podcast and it's like the first thing that we bring up. Um, <laughs> but like I, I never wanted gay to be my personality. Um, and that's really like a more precise way to put it. Um, but it's I think it's really, you know, with more maturity now that I'm 30 and not 15, looking back on it, it gay is your identity is always your identity. Um, and it doesn't have to be your personality, but I think that I fought for a long time for it not to be my personality. Um, so even though I was gay, um, I like didn't try to be stereotypical and maybe that wasn't fair. Uh, cause that kept me, you know, out of probably really rewarding experiences. Um, but I just wasn't comfortable with it yet. Cause I didn't know the difference between identity and personality at that young age. That totally makes sense. Yeah, you don't you don't want like one facet of your um, identity and, you know, one facet of yourself to become sort of the only thing about you or the only thing that people kind of associate with you. So that absolutely makes sense. Um, can you share a little bit more about how you like really got involved in school? And I know your senior speech was something that was really meaningful to you. I uh, would love to hear a little bit about that. Yeah, so um, I, you know, by my senior year, I had really formed into kind of a <laughs> disruptive person um, who I think I still am deep down. Um, and I decided that I would do my senior speech. Everyone at my school did a senior speech to the whole school. Um, it, it was awesome. I went to a small private um, high school and these, the senior speech was like a big deal for everyone. You had to do it to graduate. And I decided to do mine on um, hate crime legislation. Uh, at the time, uh, it was, you know, in the news with Matthew Shepard um, and the Matthew Shepard Act was in Congress. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do my speech on. And I remember uh, my dad was furious. <laughs> he thought I was just sort of um, doing it to, you know, be a disruptor. But I was like, no, like, this is actually what I'm really passionate about. So I had this whole like audiovisual thing. We had like movies, like the lights went up and down. It was really like theatrical and ridiculous. And I won best senior speech. And at a school in Virginia Beach back then, that was, you know, kind of controversial. And notably, my, my dad didn't come to my senior speech. Uh, my boss, actually, who, from the coffee shop that I was working at, came in his place. It was this moment where I was I, I had the conviction of just, all right, I'm going to forge forward. I'm going to forge my own path. And if people don't come along with that, that's okay, because this is what I think is right. And that sort of was a pivotal moment for me and, you know, gaining confidence in my voice. That's amazing. That's that's so meaningful. And especially I love that it was, you know, your senior speech was kind of the culmination of everything, you know, those last four years <laughs> in high school. Um, yeah, it's really kind of like, Walmart, right? <laughs> yeah, that's so perfect. I, I really love that. Um, so what did you end up studying in post-secondary? I went to school for business. Um, I don't know why. I, I had no idea what I wanted to do. <laughs> but um, 
business sounded like it would make money. <laughs> yeah, that's like, that's literally what I did too. Like I kind of like, I went to business school as well, kind of had an idea that I wanted to do marketing, but yeah, it just seemed like the most like flexible and, you know, can't really fuck it up type of degree. Yeah, same. I, I went to school for marketing. <laughs> um, and then uh, in my like first year, and maybe it was even just like my first, it was my first semester. I took a film class and I was like, oh, wow, like, this is really cool. And back in high school, I loved film. I was the president of our film society. Um, I loved, like, weird indie music. I, like, looking back on it, it's kind of cringe, but I defined myself as, like, a quote-unquote indie kid. <laughs> that was, like, the label that I gave myself, which I was like, Judd Apatow is so cool. He's so awkward. <laughs> um, but uh, so I was, I went to this film class, and I was like, oh, I love this. I absolutely love this. So I walked down to the registrar's office and I signed up for a dual degree, um, <clears throat> which I don't know who, who, where the listeners are, but a, a dual degree means you get two bachelor degrees um, and you take almost double the amount of credits. Oh my God. Um, so you're two students basically, and there's some crossover, but <clears throat> not enough. And I signed up for it and started taking um, double the credits that I would every semester. Didn't tell my parents and I was like, well, this is what I want to do. I want to do marketing and business and I want to do film. So I know that I started blogging, um, kind of, was it during university or, or a little bit afterwards? Um, can you share yeah. a little bit about that? <laughs> yeah. Um, so for context, I, you know, I, I worked in the business school career center uh, for four years while I was um, in school. It was the best experience. I had a great time and I'm probably supposed to be really good at interviews and getting a job, right? Just by default, I'm giving other people advice about it. <laughs> and I was not finding a job. And I was in an interview once with these uh, women from Nielsen who does television ratings. And about 10 minutes into the interview, the women look at each other and then they look at me and they just say, okay, it's over. Like, this is done. What's wrong? Oh. <laughs> and it was soul crushing. Um, it was like, we had like two months until the end of the year. I thought this was going to be my job. And I just thought about it for a second and I was wearing a suit and I just said, I can't wear a suit. That's all I said. And they said, thank you for your time. And I walked out and I got in trouble. <laughs> I don't know if I represented the business school in the best possible light. Um, but I, I didn't know what to do. And sort of uh, coincidentally at the time, uh, Google Plus, of all things, which was a thing, came out. And my best friend at the time uh, invited me to it. And I was like, well, why don't I just start writing about stuff? Like it was basically journal entries. And then I got to know people. We did uh, hangouts, which were at the time were public. So you could just like join in video calls with anyone. Um, I started getting added to circles. I just started writing about what I wanted to. Um, I wrote about my experiences. I sort of used it as a diary and, you know, maybe a little bit more than that. I was like, well, can I be authentic online? I was having trouble being authentic in my personal life because I was like, man, there's like, <laughs> fraternity Carter. Uh, there's film school Carter, who's like so artsy. <laughs> there's business school Carter, who's like not doing a great job. And I was like, well, this sort of matches my experience online. We have Instagram, we have Facebook, we have LinkedIn. We're so many people. Can this be a spot where I can just be myself? Um, and that's how it got started. 
That's amazing. Can you share a little bit about um, like some of the numbers and, you know, like how, like, I, I know you kind of amassed a little bit of a following there. How did it sort of grow and what did it, how did it ultimately kind of turn into a community? Yeah, we, um, so this was definitely my first experience with community management, sort of without me even realizing it. Yeah. Um, but uh, within about a month or so, I had 20,000 followers, uh, maybe it was two months. Um, and then shortly thereafter, I had 60,000. And I went to my career counselor and I was like, hey, so like, I think that I'm doing something right here. I've created an audience of 60,000 and I was mostly talking about, you know, anything that mattered to me. I was talking about roller coasters, which I love. Um, I was talking about being gay. I was talking about marriage equality, um, which at the time was, <laughs> wow, it feels so long ago, uh, was like still being debated. And she was like, Carter, you this is it. Like, this is the way that you're going to get a job, but we didn't know how. Um, and so I got an opportunity to go speak, um, in Los Angeles about that idea of like authentic representation. And, uh, her name was Jen Murphy. Uh, Jen Murphy was like, this is it. You have to go. Um, and I remember after I gave my talk, I said that I needed a job <laughs> and I called my mom from the airport and she knew she just knew that I was going to go to California and leave Virginia and the DC metro area. And that was it. And I could feel how sad she was. Oh. <laughs> um, but I, I knew too, and I didn't even have a job offer yet, but it, it just felt right. Um, and eventually I landed one, um, moved to San Francisco um, and met a mentor in the community space, Natalia Villalobos, uh, who was the community manager for Google Plus at the time. And she told me, like, that's what I'm doing. I'm doing community management. That's super cool. So you didn't get recruited into Google right away out of that, right? I know you had a couple other roles like in gaming and digital art. Yeah, I, I applied to Google five times. <laughs> Okay, that's amazing. I love that you eventually got it. But yeah, let's before we jump into Google. Um, so I know that you fostered community in many different spaces from gaming to digital art. What are some like key lessons you learned about community along the way? And were there any kind of like commonalities between those really different industries? The commonality was definitely passion. Gamers, artists, um, people in customer service, like it, these people are just so energetic <laughs> so um strong-willed sometimes um and they really have like a strong sense of who they are and what they want to do and that's really the through line i think of anyone who does community management um, and looking back on it i've i've really been driven to apply to jobs where there's like that kinetic energy or that potential energy as well uh behind the products that people are using Let's jump into uh, Google. Really excited to chat about how you actually like got recruited there finally after applying five times um, and sort of like what you do there. So how did you end up landing a role there? So at this point in my life, I had uh, over a million followers on Google+. I was working at PixArt, which is a photo editing app, which is just doing incredibly well now. It was doing incredibly well then. It's still doing incredibly well. And I got recruited to come to Google to lead content and community management on Google+. And I was going to start as a contractor. So Google actually didn't recruit me. It was the contracting company that recruited me. And I 
was like, man, do I leave this full-time job for like a contractor gig? Um, Is that a smart decision? Like I lose a lot of benefits. And I was like, well, I'll go give it a shot because if this is an end to Google, it's an end to Google. And I already know the platform. So I'm going through my interviews and I'm in my final interview with my hiring manager. And I mentioned my following on Google Plus. And he's like, what? And I looked at him and I was like, what? (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the contracting company that uh, was recruiting me, they didn't know that I had that following. It just so happened that the work that I had been doing uh, was what they were looking for. So if we're talking about how do you, uh, <laughs> you know, monetize um, a million plus followers, I clearly did a really bad job on it. And it was just coincidence. That's so funny. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, no hate to the uh, that recruiting team. And it wasn't Google's recruiting team who didn't know. Uh, so Google's recruiting team, I think, absolutely would have known. But yeah, it was just true. pure happenstance <laughs> that I would get a million followers on Google Plus and then come to uh, Google to lead content and community on Google Plus, which had started my community management career and essentially take over um, the job of uh, Natalia Villalobos, who was my mentor on Google Plus. It's really weird looking back on it. How did your role end up evolving? Like Google Plus is obviously no longer um, a thing. So how did your role evolve over time? <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, I started as a TBC um, and then I turned uh, into a full-time employee. Around that time, uh, Google Plus was becoming an enterprise product. And a lot of the things that I had been leading had been around curation, had been around art, um, as any piece of recommended content that got recommended to anyone, my team touched somehow, or one of our processes touched it somehow. And as we're going into enterprise, I was like, mm, like, am I really passionate about that? I, I don't know. Why don't I look around? And I decided that I was an imposter at Google. I don't know how I decided that. I had just made up my mind. And I was like, I can't be a good Googler if I don't be a traditional program manager. Uh, So, you know, I was hired as a program manager, uh, but I always felt like I, you know, wasn't doing quite a good enough job. It was a weird community or a weird program manager role leading community. It was sort of non-traditional. So why don't I go cut my teeth on infrastructure? (laughs) like account infrastructure and do that on a place called family link. And it was a huge mistake (laughs) to go try to do that. (laughs) Oh no. Why was it a mistake? Well, because I was doing it to prove something to myself that I didn't need to prove. I didn't need to leave Google plus. I actually think I would have had a great time on the product if I had a different mindset, even though we pivoted to enterprise, it wasn't something that I was passionate about. And I just had this like negative earworm thought that you're not good enough. And to be good enough, you have to go be good at this. And I just naturally wasn't. Oh, my God. I can relate on so many different levels. I feel like I've done this so many times in my career, too, where you're just like trying to prove something and you think it's like the right thing to do. But if it doesn't really, you know, speak to who you are as a person, you're you're not really going to be successful in it a lot of the time. But yeah, let's let's continue on with your Google, with your journey at Google. Um, super interesting. So you ended up originating Google's first internal community management team, which I think is really interesting. And I'm very excited to to spend the bulk of this episode talking about that. So why did you think that there was a need for it and what sort of drove you to take action and actually make it happen? Once again, it fell into my lap. 
um, I, I had someone come to me um, at Google who was like, hey, we're, we're having a situation where we are, you know, a hundred ish thousand people um, and we don't have any basic community management built into our products, you know, kind of at all. Google, had, we have this culture of openness. Um, Google's culture um, is really desirable. It's, it's marketable. People write books about it. We're all very proud <clears throat> of our culture. And as more and more of it uh, moved online, you know, just by virtue of hiring more people uh, who are working async across different time zones, it sort of became obvious to us that we needed to do something to keep pushing forward. Um, and that, you know, even if no one person was any worse than anyone else, as we kept hiring people, incidents that happened happened in front of more people. And there are more opportunities for things to go sideways just by the virtue of how many perspectives you had to consider. What that meant was um, putting things in place that would make uh, our communities more uh, inclusive um, and more welcoming. And so that's how our internal community management team started. Um, and it actually sort of started without permission. Um, I, I left that job that I was um, sort of miserable at and said, well, I'll go join this other team and see if it works. <laughs> That's amazing. And here we are. Clearly, it's working and you're you're really enjoying it. And what does a typical day look like for you these days? I'm sure it's kind of different day to day, but like what sort of programs are you running? I, I don't think it's so different, actually, um, than anyone else um, who's in the community space. Our job, our mandate at Google is figure out what community management looks like inside of a company. And that means taking external best practices and applying them internally and seeing what fits and what doesn't and where we hit roadblocks and what works and what our employees like and what they don't like. And trust me, you know, they'll tell you, uh, you know, if you want to talk about the most passionate people in the world, they're like artists, yeah. <laughs> they're gamers, and then they're Googlers. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's so true. Um you know, every morning we wake up um, and we <laughs> look and we see what the trending topic is. And sometimes we get like sort of a heads up that, hey, you know, this thing is landing. Can you let us know how it's received? And that's really similar to any other community manager in any, uh, you know, more traditional space. Um, you know, you have a launch coming up. Uh, so, you know, how are you going to make sure that you like your community knows about it in the right way? And then how do you bring that feedback back to the people who care? And another huge part of my job um, is working with my team uh, on their strategies. Right now, we have three community program managers. Each one of them has a strategy in a specific area. And so at Google, we had to define, you know, what does community management mean? Um, and I think we didn't want it to just be, hey, you take this product, you take this product. We wanted to really work on horizontal programs that could be applied across the entire company. So there's someone who works on moderation, there's someone who works on amplification, um, and then there's advocacy, which is, uh, you know, how do we close the gap between decision makers and Googlers? And what's funny is that, you know, when you're dealing internally as opposed to a company with its external users, the decision maker uh, slash curious user line gets crossed back and forth all the time. So you can go from being a decision maker about your product to a curious Googler about another product. And then you have to represent that same person in a different way, uh, which is sort of an interesting uh, wrinkle for internal community management versus external is that those roles are constantly shifting, um, even though it's the same person back and forth. And so a lot of my days are spent 
figuring out the right things to do and the right strategies in each one of those three areas. My job is to empower my team to make sure that they have the resources that they need to do the right stuff and that we're reacting to things and I I give advice. (laughs) But uh, it's really just flipping back and forth between uh, what does moderation mean today? What does amplification mean today? Is there an opportunity there? Or when it comes to like advocacy, how can we make sure that the team uh, who's on the receiving end of all of this feedback gets actionable feedback? Or how do we make sure that a launch that's coming up actually goes through like a trusted tester process um, with Googlers to make sure that we have a soft landing? That's really interesting. I'm curious about how you actually measure success uh, for you and your team. And, you know, is is there a big difference there um, compared to external community management? Or are you looking at sort of like similar metrics? Uh, metrics are hard internally, to be yeah. honest with you. That's not say that we don't have metrics, right? We, we do and I'll get to it. But <laughs> it's not as easy um, when you're dealing with employees. Um, when you're dealing with external users who have signed privacy agreements, who have like blah, 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 blah. Like you can pretty much do whatever you want. Like all their stuff that they publish, you can like personify them, et cetera. And inside of the company, you have to be a little bit more careful with it. Um, and I think one of the like main things that you know, we ask ourselves all the time, it's like, what is community health? Yeah. No matter where I work, everyone asks that. Um, everyone, and I think people really overcomplicate it. <laughs> they make it really hard. They're like doing um, equations and calculus. And um, and I think what I'm trying to do right now as, you know, for our success metrics is really simplify it. And I think that's good advice for anyone who's in the community space. Don't try to make it too hard. Don't try to come up with this massive like, you know, yeah. God formula <laughs> instead, like, why not just percent of places that have moderation? Like it, it, if you think about and you talk about what are the core things that communities need, it's, it's basically four things. It's they have a communicated purpose. They have enough members, they have hierarchy and you have a way to react to negative content. That's like the four core things. So what percent of um, communities actually published a charter to communicate their purpose, uh, because we know that that begets healthier communities. You know, how many of them uh, have trained moderators? Like these are very easy, you know, basic metrics that on the surface may not look very exciting, um, but I think the best metrics um, and the ones that have the most impact are the most basic, easiest ones to measure. Um, so, so that's what we're doing at Google. We're, we're, we're starting with that foundation um, as we you know, have this uh, sea change of really g- going a little bit more broadly with internal community management. Yeah, absolutely. I love that you pointed that out because I do I do agree with you. I think a lot of people really overcomplicate it and then, you know, just it gets overwhelming and you end up not measuring it properly at all when it gets too overwhelming and you don't you don't have all the data and everything like that. It it really doesn't have to be rocket science. So really love that approach <laughs> to it. Yes. So I think something that kind of comes up, especially with, you know, a place like Google or, you know, really amazing tech companies, um, the people that work there are kind of seen as like almost like a a step up or something above other people. And people are really intimidated um, by them. So can you share a little bit about like maybe some challenges that you've had or if there's been any fuck ups along the way? Because you seem like somebody who's very open and authentic. And I'd love to kind of dispel that myth a little bit. I like to demystify Google. Um, we're just people. Um, we, a lot of us are just, I, I'll just describe myself. I'm an adequately smart person <laughs> who 
just sort of lucked out into getting into this spot. Um, it, like, was I the right person to lead this? I don't know, probably not, right? Like there was probably someone um, who's quite a bit more qualified than me um, who should have gotten the role, but I was the one who tried. And that's the spirit um, that I think is true at Google um, is that a lot of people just try really crazy wonky stuff. Um, and it's an empowering place to do that. You know, we have the whole 20% projects, um, which are real, um, which is actually how all of this got started for me is I started as a 20 percenter in this problem space before I became full time. That's something that's true. Um, what I, what I don't like is the idea that like, we're better than anyone. And I know it's like, it's intimidating to see Google. Um, and a lot of people have been burned by Google because they've applied <laughs> um, and they were rejected or they never heard back. And they're like, oh my gosh, it must be like so difficult. Um, but it, it, it's just luck a lot of the times and it's happenstance. Um, and so I, I don't like that it's intimidating. Um, I, I don't like that. Uh, I'm proud of Google, of course. Like I, I think that Google does an incredible job. I, I've always admired Google. I've been like, Android since the original Droid. I've just kind of been a fanboy my whole life uh, for the company. Um, so I obviously take a lot of pride in what we do. Um, but I, I think we're just people. We're just passionate people. So I want to jump into getting some of your advice for community creators. Um, so why do you think a strong internal community is crucial to the success of a business? Like, why should companies be thinking about this? And why should people within companies be thinking about starting it? The most obvious answer, oh, sorry, that my knee-jerk reaction, I guess, is that these companies already have internal communities. Like they're not stopping, they're still happening at the corporation. Um, people are still talking about politics. They're still talking about video games. They're talking about um, parenting. Um, they're talking about their lives in a way that isn't work-related. Um, I think that we're sort of, you know, well beyond the idea that we have a nine to five and that's it and it's not part of our identity. Especially in tech, we make our jobs part of our identity and it happens naturally and it's happening inside these companies already. So, you know, if your company is talking about things that aren't work related, I think that's what internal community actually is. You know, my team doesn't deal with what's an effective team. We don't deal with teamwork. That, that's not our spot. We deal with how do people connect over their shared interests inside of the company. And we think that there's a lot of value in that. And so if you are looking at your company and that's happening, you have to invest in it, period. Yeah, I totally agree with you. And, you know, I think a lot of people kind of they group like internal comms with internal community and they think that that's enough, you know, just sending out like a newsletter once a month yeah. or something. <laughs> but that's not what it is. Like, that's obviously like confusing the definition of community with audience at an internal level. So that's, that's really great advice. Yeah, I think um, one of the things that <clears throat> we get a lot of is like, well, Carter, like, aren't you like people operations? I'm like, no. <laughs> or they're like, well, aren't you, you know, like the, the culture club? And I'm like, no. And they're like, well, aren't you internal comms? And I'm like, no, but all these people are people we talk to all the time. And they're yeah. like, well, what, what do you mean? Like you're just community. And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like period. Yeah. We're, we're, we help all of those teams build better experiences and we give them the tools that they need. And I think by virtue of us being, engineering program managers were able to naturally navigate how that stuff gets built 
uh, we have the literacy and the terminology um, in the inch space to make things happen um, in these internal online spaces. Um, and so we really carved out a niche for ourselves. Um, so for somebody who's looking to sort of get started with it and really like start creating it within their company, um, how can they get started and how can they get buy-in from management? Do you have any tips around that? <laughs> Simplify. <laughs> Simplify. Like, it's, it's true. It's, um, it's sort of like back to what we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, I think that community managers, we all have chips on our shoulders for trying to explain what we do. And like, if you, if someone is like, so what do you do? I think it like triggers us, <laughs> like, tr like truly we get triggered. And we're like, well, community management is so important because of, you know, X, Y, Z. And like, it goes back to, and everyone's like, whoa, like, okay. Like you're real passionate. <laughs> <laughs> um, and instead, like, why not just ask really basic, easy questions? Like, well, what happens if someone posts something that isn't in line with our values? How will we learn about it? Why aren't we investing in culture and saying like, this is what we do here. This isn't what we do here. And how do we make sure that when we do need to do something that it aligns with everyone's expectations? Um, so I, I think when you talk about getting manager buy-in, those simple questions with really simple solutions that are commonsensical, that maybe have like one Princeton study behind them or something. So you can have, you know, a little bit of plot armor. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think that that, that that helps a lot. So I want to jump into your personal community. I think it's really fascinating how community professionals actually navigate their personal communities outside of work or the community that they're building professionally. So I'm curious what communities you're part of outside of your work and why are they meaningful to you? I hate this question um, because I have been like kind of a hermit um, over the past like two years community wise. And the reason why is because we were in a new space doing a new thing that we didn't know if it would work that was sensitive. And so I hermited, like I, I sort of dropped out about talking about community management. I stopped writing almost entirely. And I really just focused myself on figuring this area out and writing the playbook on it. And so, uh, you know, I think as community professionals, we're like, oh, like never lose your community, like never lose your network. But it was one of the best things I've ever done <laughs> um, was to not assert myself anymore. I had done that for a really long time and to just go and learn and figure out what I wanted to write about. And now I'm sort of like re-emerging with all of the experience behind me over the past three years. We have ideas now that we, we've, we've failed, we've succeeded, we've been in the news, um, sometimes good, sometimes bad. And it's been a lot of cutting our teeth. And finally, I feel like, okay, like now I have something to say again. And I think that as community professionals, it's okay to chill for a sec. I think we get so worried about like, oh no, like we'll lose Twitter followers and then our community will be gone. And I think what I found was that when I reemerged into the community spaces that my community that had always been there was still there. So my last question for you is, and I ask this of everybody on the podcast, what does the word community mean to you? The most annoying part about this question is that I thought about it the most when you sent the questions over. And now when I'm confronted with it, I'm like, I don't know. I mean, you've put me in like such like a headspace right now. <laughs> with, like a very like I, I, this has been such a fun conversation. Um, I, I really thank you for having me. First off, I just really enjoyed talking about <laughs> yeah. this and I'm feeling like 
very peaceful right now, um, which is kind of funny. Um, it's like talking to like a diet. It just feels like a very like her moment. Oh, <laughs> uh, I love that. This was such a great conversation yeah. for sure. Uh, but all right. So like, what, what does it mean? Um, it's a group of people with a shared purpose who are having a rewarding experience. And, you know, that that's kind of cheating um, because it's taken from my corporate definition of what I think community yeah. management is. Um, but I, I think that I really wouldn't, I believe in that definition. It's not corp speak to me. When you think about what it means, it means you're accomplishing something together. It's rewarding and you have ownership. And that's really it. There's energy and peace and community. You, you know that something will happen with those people the next day. And you know that you can leave and come back and they'll still be doing stuff. Like that's what community means. I love that. I think that's such a great definition. And I love that you sort of like simplified it as well, which is very on theme with kind of what we talked about <laughs> before. It doesn't have to be rocket science. So absolutely love that definition. Love this conversation. Carter, thank you so much for joining me. It was so much fun. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. This was great. I had such a great time chatting with Carter, and I hope he learned as much as I did from this episode. You can find Carter on LinkedIn at Carter Gibson and on Twitter at Carter G, written out as G-E-E. You can also check out his blog at cartergmedium.com. Thanks for tuning in to Create Community, a podcast where I chat with incredible community builders to define what community truly means. You can check out the series on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you normally listen. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. I'd really love to hear your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at createcommunitypod or check out our website at createcommunitypod.com for updates. Once again, I'm Marsha Drucker, your host, signing off. A huge thank you to Origins Media House for producing this series. You can find them at originsmediahouse.com, where house is spelled H-A-U-S, or on LinkedIn and Instagram at Origins Media House and Twitter at Origins Media.